Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Maddie, uh, and I'll be reading the Bible for us tonight. So we're in Romans 6, 1 to 14. Romans 6, 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Thanks, Maddie, and good evening, everybody. I hope you are well. Uh, To make this really work, we're going to have to do some imagining together. So I hope uh, you're in a space where you can imagine yourself not sitting here in a chair in fig tree, but maybe go back a few hundred years and in your travel back a few hundred years, I want you to leave the land and go to the sea for you are a sailor. I feel like I should have organised with Greg to have like some shanty music playing or something like that. You are a sailor, so I'm just going to sort of bobble around like this to give you a bit of a nautical feel. Hopefully no one's getting sick as they look at me. But I want you to imagine yourself as a sailor who spends most of your life, not on the land, but most of your life on the sea, and you love it there. I wonder if anyone's named themselves yet as a sailor. I bet you someone in here is getting right into this and they've got a sailor name and everything and an outfit. So you are a sailor, you live on one of those, you know those old tall ships with the amazing um, sails and things and the high masts and the wooden decks and you are this sailor who when you breathe in you love the smell of the salty air of the sea and you sailed the seven seas and you're not scared of a storm in the night and you just love it out at sea for you are a sailor man or a sailor girl. And not only are you a brave sailor, you're a loyal sailor because you're part of a crew on a ship. You are loyal to your captain. 
You're the kind of sailor that when the captain says, scrub the decks, you're down there as a role model for all other crewmates, scrubbing the deck, making sure everything is ship shape. You are the sailor who, when something goes wrong in the rigging and the captain says, climb the mast, Bang, up you go, quick as lightning, not scared at all. And though the whole thing's rocking around like this, your years at sea and your devotion to the ship, your devotion to the crew, your devotion to the captain means that you are brave and up you go and you're fixing the rigging and everything's working well because that's the kind of sailor you are. You're a virtuous sailor, a brave sailor. You are a sailor who has the admiration of the whole crew. They like you and they say, he's a good sailor, that guy. And you're also a sailor who knows how to fight. Because when your ship is in danger, or indeed when your ship is bringing danger and the captain says, load the cannons! You're there putting cannonballs in the cannons and gunpowder and whatever else goes in the cannon, but you're part of it and you are ready to defend your ship and you are ready for your ship to attack as well and you're there front line. So much front line that when your ship and another ship are in close combat and it's time to actually leave the ship and do hand-to-hand combat, you are like swinging from the ropes, you know, knife in your mouth or whatever you do because you're the sailor, not me, and you go across and you battle and you fight and you do what your captain's orders are because that's the kind of good sailor you are. And one day... Like many others before, this day is different. Uh, the captain says, hoist the colours! And you say, hoist the colours, mate! And you start to hoist the colours up to the top of the mast. And you happen to glance up on this day as you hoist the colours and you see this flag. And you realise the kind of ship you sail on. You're a pirate. This is the Jolly Roger. The flag of a pirate. And on this particular day, you have hoisted the colours because once again, it's time to battle with another ship. This ship is a naval ship, not an outlaw pirate ship like the one that you serve on. Though you serve diligently, you are on a pirate ship. And a battle ensues. Your ship loses. For the first time, your ship is riddled with holes from the opposing cannons. And you know you're done for. The ship sinks and the captain you have served so faithfully on it, he goes down with the ship, down into Davy Jones' locker. Drowned. And you feel yourself sinking, going under. When a strong hand from the naval ship reaches down into the water, rips you out, plants you on the deck and you are inches from death you are revived and told, no longer do you need to serve on that ship. We've got a space for you here. You can serve on this ship. This will be your place now. Now, if you can imagine that whole story, that whole scenario, you're in a good space to understand what Paul has been teaching in the preceding chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 5. Because in Romans chapter 5, Paul has been talking about this very kind of transfer. Let me show it to you because it's really important to understand before we jump into tonight's Romans chapter 6. Have a look at this. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the 
obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. This is a story of changing ships. What Romans, what God is talking about here is that for each and every human who has ever or will ever walk the earth or sail the seven seas, you will belong to a ship. You will either be in Adam or you will be in Christ. And what we learn here is that in Adam, he was the disobedient one, many were made sinners. In Christ, many were made righteous. And what God declares to each and every one of us gathered here tonight, and each and every human who has ever lived or ever will, is that you will belong to one of these crews, one of these ships. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And in Adam is sin and condemnation, and in Christ is life. Now I know already for some of us, you might be thinking, nah, not having that. I may not be in Christ yet, but I've got nothing to do with this Adam bloke. He and his pirate ship can do their thing. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm just my own person. <laughs> Call me the guy in the dinghy. I'm on a kayak. I'm just out having a fun time. What have I got to do with these guys? Here's what I want you to do to help us understand this. I want you to take this finger. Hold this finger up. Everyone, can you hold this finger up for me? Hold your finger up. Don't make me embarrass you. Hold your finger up. <laughs> okay. Finger up. Now take your finger. Reach down. Reach down, reach down, and stick it in your belly button. Don't get lost in there. Now, you've done that, right? Your belly button's a handy thing, because it reminds you that you didn't pop into existence from nowhere. Okay, this is where you were once attached to another human. That might be a glorious backstory, it might be a painful one, but the truth is each and every, every one of us come from someone, biologically. And we take stuff from those someones that contributes to making us us. And so because of the someones that you were once attached to, I look out and I see that some of you are very, very attractive. And some of you, let's just say some of you are very attractive. (laughs) Okay, because stuff has been passed down. The truth is you've got to take what's passed. We understand that biologically and physically, don't we? That no one comes from nowhere. It's the same way spiritually. No one's on a dinghy by themselves. If that's what you're thinking, please understand that it's as silly and untrue as anyone who says, I don't have a belly button. We all come from somewhere. We all have a backstory and we have a spiritual backstory. The Bible says you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Here's how it works if I play with this ship thing. In Adam, the pirate ship, you will find you might be one of the many wonderful sailors. You don't need to be a Christian to have good values. You don't need to be a Christian to demonstrate worthy and fantastic virtues. We know that. Just look at the world. The trouble is you're in the wrong boat. Scrub the decks as good as you want. The trouble is they're pirate decks. Climb the mast as faithfully as you can. The trouble is it's a pirate mast. You're on the wrong boat. So here's what happens in Adam. In Adam, on the pirate ship, there is a crew. And that crew are called sinners. Because for just through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made 
sinners. That's what his crew is called. They're called the sinners. And there's a captain on this ship. The captain's name is Captain Sin. It's a funny way Paul writes in chapter 5 and 6. He, he kind of personifies this idea of sin. He makes sin like the captain. And so you'll see here, so just as sin reigned, reigns like a captain, has mastery, has lordship. And you heard that language in chapter 6 as well. So on the good ship, the pirate ship Adam, the crew are called sinners, the captain is Captain Sin, and the captain's orders are death, because sin reigned in death. The captain is sin, he calls you to follow him in sin, and he wants you to die. He wants you to suffer physical death and forever alienation and condemnation under God. He wants you to die. But, in the same way that we talked about this ship coming along and destroying that ship and and, and sinking it and rescuing you out, if you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, what we celebrated at Easter is that Jesus' death and resurrection ends that ship for you and by no merit of our own in fact as we are just about dead or dead Jesus plucks us out and puts us in a new space and we are in Christ and here's the difference once you were in Adam now you are in Christ once you were part of a crew called sinners now you're part of a crew called righteous you see that through the obedience of the one man many will be made or called righteous you get a new uniform, a new name. They call you righteous. You had a captain previously. His name was Sin. He reigned in death. You have a new captain. His name, or better, her name, is Grace, because a guy called Grace would be weird. Um, so uh, your new captain's name is Grace, and Grace reigns through righteousness. Because for where Sin was saying, your wages are death, Grace is saying, your gift is righteousness. You are declared right before God. When God looks at you, he smiles for you are under the captaincy of grace, not under the captaincy of sin. So everything has changed as you've changed boats. And here is the amazing thing. The last thing that chapter 5 says is that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Short version of that is God's grace has overcome the sin of humanity like a naval boat sinking a pirate ship. God wins. The grace of God was more powerful than the sin of Shane. Sunk the sin of Shane, lifted Shane up and put him on a new deck. And Jesus does that for everyone who comes to him in faith. The grace of God overcomes sin and it's fantastic. It sinks the Adam ship. And so, having established this in chapter 5, Paul then goes on in chapter 6 to ask a question that in this case he's imagining someone asking the question, but he needn't imagine too hard because this is a question that was asked in Paul's time. And it's a question that is asked in our time and it's a question that will be asked until Jesus comes back. Here is the question. Look at Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? God likes forgiving. I like sinning. What's the problem? I'll go on sinning 
works for me. He can go on forgiving, works for him, everyone shakes hands, we're happy, right? If grace increases where sin increases, then why don't I intentionally plan to sin further and allegedly enjoy my life so that grace can increase all the more? Why don't I make that, make that my life's direction? This is a question that's been asked since Jesus came out of the tomb and will be asked until Jesus stands on the land again, which will happen. Paul responds to this question, should we plan to keep on sinning so that grace may increase? His answer, no. Verse 2, he says, by no means. His language here is really strong. It's not just like, nah, I don't reckon. His language here is, may it never be. His language here is, may this concept, this idea that you would continue in the old way, may that never be a thought that comes to your mind and certainly not be an intention of your hands. May it never be. After saying may it never be, I think he gives us a threefold no, no and no to why we should not plan to keep on sinning that grace may increase. And the first one is, no, you should not go on sinning because your old captain is dead. And the old captain's name was Captain Sin. Have a look at Romans 6 and 7 with me. No, your old captain is dead. For we know that our old self, you know, the guy who used to serve on the pirate ship, Yeah, well, he was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has become set free from sin. It's real simple. If you've lived, if you've lived as a slave or a committed sailor under the command of one voice, Probably whenever something happens, you have an impulse that you're going to hear that voice again. A ship, you see a ship on the horizon. You're ready for captain's orders. Hoist the colours! You're ready to do what he would... I love how the heads popped up then. Uh, you're ready to do what he's called you to do. I think we might have a similar conditioning in life that sometimes we anticipate the voice of old Captain Sin saying, you should do this. You should go the sinful way. Take what's yours. But Paul says, no, we don't go on sinning because that captain's dead. Don't you understand? His lungs are full of salt water and he's at the bottom of the ocean with his ship. He no longer lives to own you. He no longer lives to command you. And that reflex you might have to look for his leading, let that die because he is dead. So no, should we intend to sin that we might exploit God's grace? No, for the captain who once owned you is dead and he is gone. Choose a different life's path. Paul gives us another reason. He says, should we go on sinning that grace may increase all the more? You'll see up here. No, because our new captain lives. Let's look at Romans 6, 6 to 8. The new captain lives and so we read... Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's my summary. In the same way that we died with Christ and the old ship sunk and the old captain was killed, 
So by Jesus' resurrection there is new life. And if we're united with his death, we're united with his new life. And the life he lives, he lives to God. It is a life of righteousness, not a life of sinful rebellion. It is a life of righteousness that we have been united to. So what shall we choose? What shall we choose as we stand on the decks of the in Christ ship? Shall we choose the life of the in Adam ship, somehow thinking that that would be a good thing for grace, or standing on the in Christ ship, will we live the in Christ life? We've come to Christ's ship and so we sail with Christ and we never think, oh, I want to sail with Adam. No, we don't go on sinning that that grace may increase because our new captain lives and our new captain's name is Grace. Grace. We were once ruled by sin and now we are ruled by the grace of God brought to us in Jesus that has set us truly free to live lives of righteousness. And so when we live righteously, we step into the grace and grace increases. And it's beautiful. Last reason. Should we go on sinning that grace may increase? No. And I reckon this is the trickiest one to digest because there is a new you. Romans six eleven to 14. Let's have a read. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin no longer let sin for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace this can be tricky to digest let's take a pause the old captain is dead we've established that the new captain lives here's what we must get into our psychology into our spirit into our soul there is a new you in Christ You've been declared a new person. Once you were on this boat, part of the crew that was called sinners. You remember I told you that a little earlier? Sinners. That was your name. But you were plucked out of the water because that ship was sunk and the captain is dead and you were put squarely on the decks of the in Christ boat. And on the in Christ boat, the crew is not called sinners. They are called righteous or some other biblical language they are called saints so why on earth would a saint or a righteous one choose the life of a pirate to somehow please his captain grace it makes no sense at all It's as crazy as coming out of that sunken ship onto this new vessel and saying, but I want to be what we were doing. That's gone. That's dead. You now sail here. This is who you are. This is where you direct your life. Now, this can be hard to digest. Let me put it another way. Because we often, in our normal language, are really good at calling ourselves sinners. 
And yet, as I've told you before, the New Testament never calls you, if you are in Christ, a sinner. It says you sin, but it doesn't say you're a sinner. You say, you're splitting hairs. Oh, I'm not. It's very important that God's voice is the one we hear. For God says you were once a sinner. God wants to convict us, the Holy Spirit convicts us, that we still sin. But despite us still sinning, under Captain Grace, we are declared saints. We are declared righteous because grace reigned in righteousness when sin reigned in death. Sin said, I see what you do, you're a sinner, you should die. Wages, we've talked about this before. Grace said, I see your sin, I paid for that, I give you what you don't deserve, I call you righteous. You are a new crew, on a new boat, under a new master. No longer sinner, but saints. And so the, the final reason not to, not to go on sinning is simply this. Just be who you are. You're not called sinner anymore, you're called righteous, you're called saint. So let's shoot our life in that direction, hey? Yes, you will still sin, but let that never be our intention. Let that never be the thing we do that grace may increase. See, here's the thing as we wrap up. The grace of Jesus has changed all things. So why on earth would we go back to the old way, to that old sunken sea wreck under the ocean? The grace of Jesus has changed everything. Look at this. The grace of Jesus has come and by his grace, his gift to us, us we have received it in faith. And faith gives rise to obedience. If you're rereading Romans, you'll see this in the very first chapter in verse 5. The gospel brings the obedience of faith. But sometimes we want to reverse the order. We sort of think, if I could just be obedient, that would be faithful, and then God will accept me and love me. That's reversed. What Jesus has done is given us grace that we might receive in faith and that our faith might bring about obedience. The grace of God has taken us from being in Adam and placed us squarely in Christ, his Son. The grace of God has taken us from being dead in sin and made us alive in Christ. The grace of God has taken us from those who are called sinner and declared us as those who are called righteous. And so let our thoughts, let our intention, let our life's actions be nothing short of the grace that God has given us that points us in the way of righteousness. And what God has done in his son Jesus, is given us this meal to share. This is a meal of grace. In fact, if you were to read some of like the, the mega kind of written constitution of the Anglican Church, they're called the 39 Articles, if you were curious, they actually say that this meal, get ready for this, is an effectual sign of grace. And then it uses real strange language. But effectual signs of grace to strengthen us in faith. What does that mean? It means that when you eat the bread and when you drink the cup, these are signs given to us by God to say, Do you see my grace? Do you see that I really love you? As you see that my body was given for you, that my blood was shed for you, please know I love you. And knowing that love, depend upon that love and be strengthened in it. 
And so I remind you tonight that on the night before Jesus died, when he was to give himself, he instituted this meal and he commanded us to remember that gathering his disciples with him, he broke bread after he had given thanks and he shared it with them and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took the cup and again giving thanks, he shared it with him and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. Paul would write to the church in Corinth that for as often as you drink and eat, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when you eat and you drink this in just a few moments' time, you're proclaiming, you're preaching, so you've got to go now. Probably another half hour or so, but no, we'll go quicker. You're going to proclaim to yourself and to one another, God loves us. God's gracious to us. God has taken us from being in Adam and put us in Christ. God has taken us from sinner to saints. Let us believe and be glad. And so I'm going to invite our communion service to come forward. I'm going to serve them. Once I've served them, I'd ask you to come forward and let me serve you too. Let us proclaim together this great grace of God. And one other thing, as has been our custom of late, it's a wonderful time as we're gathered to pray. So maybe tonight as I've been saying some of this stuff, you want to just pray and be reminded again of God's great grace and that he declares you saint and not sinner. Come on down, let me pray those words over you. Let Ruth pray for you. Let the others who are up here pray for you. And let us remind you of that. Maybe there's something else that's on your heart. It could be anything at all. Please don't be shy to come on forward and we'd love to pray for you then as well. I'm going to serve these guys and then we'll all come forward and eat together.